indigenous practice of storytelling, but like, yes, it's futurism, but futurism is a continuum. So it's rooted in the past, which just allows me to see farther in the future. The farther in the past you can see, the farther in the future you can see. You cannot understand one without the other. Welcome to Entry Level Adults. I'm Taz, host and resident Entry Level Adult, and this is the show where my guests and I query the terms and conditions of what it means to be grown up. And today I am joined by Jean Paul Weaver. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am good now that I ate. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you have to eat. You got to eat before we do these things. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. So how has your day been? Um, actually, I was kind of like hungover today. Cause like, <laughs> and I didn't really eat much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh, I was yeah, going to employer um, planning a, an event together. So we had some drinks and we mm-hmm. did some planning and it was good. And I probably got a little, had a little bit too much fun. And no, but it sounds like a productive planning session. And so do you want to give like a little bit of background into who you are and what you, what you like to do? Yeah. So who am I? Let's see. Um, I am Jean-Paul Weaver. I'm a transgender non-binary woman, Haitian American. Um, I was born in her on Turtle Island, um, which you may know as USA. And I was raised in the traditional territories of Arapaho, Ute, I believe Pueblo, um, Diné, Apache, I think Lakota and Dakota um, mm-hmm. tribal nations um, were all in what is now called Denver, Colorado, which mm-hmm. the government of Colorado illegally occupies that land. Um, but traditionally that land was inhabited by those people who were the original caretakers of that land. Um, and I am an artist. I'm, I'm many things. Um, you are, yeah. I feel as though I don't like the term activist or social justice warrior. I feel like yeah. activist, well, I feel like, first of all, entrepreneur is the new, like, activist where like everyone's like I'm an entrepreneur and like back in the day when everyone's yeah. like I'm an activist it was like bitch you ain't shit but um <laughs> I do I, I guess I say I'm a facilitator of poetic justice use art, poetic justice poetic justice beautiful yeah so I use arts as a vehicle to create beauty in the world that is rooted in an understanding of historic injustice and working to mm-hmm. resolve through um active reparations um, I work with communities in Haiti, and I've also connected to many indigenous communities around the world as I've traveled. And then my main trade was dance. I was a professional contemporary ballet dancer, danced in many dance companies in the USA, written grants, um, produced my own work, taken my own work on tour, and then started doing drag in so-called Melbourne and so-called Australia. And now I'm in Taiwan. 
And now you're here. How long have you been here for? I will be two years on December 3rd. I got here right, Ooh. like, the day that the outbreak of COVID, Just like, happened. But, like, no one knew COVID wow. was happening, but it was, like, literally, like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Just both, yeah. It's been an uh, interesting wow. journey. But let us jump into our first segment of the show, mm-hmm. which is called... Parental Guidance. Yeah. And this is where we're going to talk about questionable or bad pieces of advice that we've been given or just things we heard growing up that we thought were true, mm-hmm. that we believed to be true, but they they weren't. They weren't true. They didn't apply to us. We didn't need to take these lessons to heart. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, mm. That's deep. Yeah. You want me to go right into it? Please. So let's see. I had, I had a, um, I think I had a unique upbringing. My mother's Haitian. Mm. She's was born in Port-au-Prince. She immigrated to the USA when she was 11 and didn't even speak English. So English is technically mm-hmm. her third language. And then my father is like waspy, like white Anglo-Saxon, like white guy, like blue eyes, super like, well, dang, dang, Nicole, yeah. like <laughs> white guy. And, you know, like I love my parents, um, but... I'm very different from both of them. And I was actually, I've talked about it pretty openly. I was actually raised mm-hmm. in a cult. Um, I was raised in a Christian cult, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And you may have seen, there's some videos about it. It was called The Way Ministry or The Way International. The what, sorry? The, okay. the Way International. Yeah. And so oh. my childhood was like pretty isolated because we weren't really like, my parents weren't like super as strict as some of the other people, but like essentially the rest of the world was going to hell and everything outside of our yeah. little bubble was like seen as like demonic or devilish. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of raised in this idea and this thinking that like everyone else around us is out to get us. They're going to drag you down They're They haven't been, they haven't yeah. repented. They're not unborn in the, the mm-hmm. seed of Jesus or reborn and, born again and they're not going to heaven and we are the chosen ones and and I, and I don't think that I I was a child so I didn't really know any better but like I don't think that I ever like really believed it but it was definitely like something that was constantly I was constantly being told until I was about like 13 when we left the cult how were you able to separate yourself from this idea so young um, the ancestors spoke to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I always, but I also think I knew that I, um, I always knew I, I'm a woman. And so a lot of things just didn't really make sense. And a mm-hmm. lot of like the logic that was used, like mm-hmm. I would question it and then it'd be kind of torn down and it's like, okay, whatever, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And like, there were elements of it that I do like the, the aspect of spirituality mm-hmm. like we would speak in tongues i'm not sure if you know what that is yeah yeah the spirit yeah. is supposed to enter you and then you yeah. speak in some angelic language mm-hmm. and like experiences like that i think did shape and mold my spirituality as an adult yeah i mean it was difficult but i did yeah, yeah. I did. okay so then the next part of the segment is a little bit 
little bit funny maybe and it's where we talk about the weird things or the funny things that you do in your family or in your household that you thought everyone did that you thought were very normal but then you left your house you went out into the world and you realized this is not how people do things this is not a done thing anywhere besides my household yeah well this this I mean you know that's like kind of a hard question for me Mm. because as I said like my mother I grew up in a very 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 white area yeah and so maybe I should put it this way like sometimes when I go over to my white friend's house and their mom's just like one two (laughs) you better clean up that room James three four and I was like she's not like screaming at you like she's not she's just like you're gonna go you're gonna go some countdown yeah I was like that's it that's all you got like that's Uh it like my mom be like got it you got fun like cursing me out in Creole and Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it should be real emotional about it and like it'd be like screaming and like not like like I don't want to make it sound like it was something that was just terrible yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. It's but just like, like a, it wasn't a very different. Put. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it is in its own way, but it's just like a different culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure you can relate to like mm-hmm. being like African diaspora in a different way, but in London. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not like malicious. It's just like, we need to get this done quickly and need to understand the severity <laughs> of the actions that need to be carried out. Yeah. 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 And there's like this thing called like the Haitian stare. It's like Ooh. a real thing. Uh-huh. And like, actually, my auntie Danielle has it. She has the legendary Haitian stare where in Times Square, some man bumped into her as the story goes. And she stared him down and he stopped dead in his tracks and turned around and came back and apologized. Wow. <laughs> and like for a New Yorker, like that's like that sounds intense. So, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. No, that's interesting. I really like that. Okay. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, of course. Let us <laughs> I'm happy to share. <laughs> Let's jump into segment two, which is called Adulting in Motion. Which is where we are going okay. to now talk more about who you are, what you do, how you're navigating this current um terrain of adulthood, how it's treating you, what you like to do, job, leisure, all the things that are current in your life. Well, you know, I- some people say they wish they could go back to their childhood. And I'm like, girl, you couldn't get me out of that shit fast <laughs> enough. I feel you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I love my freedom, love honey. You. Like, yeah, I'm, I ain't going mm-hmm. back. Maybe if I could stay like in like my early thirties for like mm-hmm. a while longer, like have like 20 years in my early thirties. Yeah. 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 But I turned 34 in January mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, 40 is closer than far. It's closer than... <laughs> so weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, six years really isn't now to me. Like, six years ago, I was 28. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
that's so weird to me yeah I guess I guess like <laughs> as, whatever. Time, as we get older like I don't know time large spans of time feel much shorter or they're less like catastrophic you're just like oh that's no time yeah yeah, yeah. true um which whatever I've lived an incredible life like I have no major regret mm. um no I'm very happy to move to Taiwan I think for me I think finding balance here, like before, like, like I spent a lot of my twenties, like dancing eight hours a day as a professional mm-hmm. dancer, being very poor, really poor. Um, sometimes not able to afford food for maybe going like one meal for a few days type thing, like starving artists, like, and just going, going, going. I think I was in a lot of physical yeah. pain that I just kind of tuned it out. Cause like dance, doing ballet or contemporary dance. There was a time I was like dancing for three dance companies oh, at once. Wow. Like I was That's crazy. intense, yeah. And um, I was in a lot of pain. Mm. And so now I'm like, huh, I kind of forgot. How are you like, able to keep going? It was like to just like, well, I smoked a lot of marijuana. And, um, and I loved yeah. it. I loved yeah. it so much. And I still love it, but I got a little burned out. But it was my dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was yeah, doing it. Yeah. And you were performing living, as well. Um, I was performing yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, not really getting mm-hmm. paid much, but I was performing a lot. And um, I think I'm still healing mm-hmm. physically from that yeah. time. Almost, I think I'm almost mm-hmm. healed up, but um, I had some injuries and yeah, stuff. You said recently like, you injured yourself. No, that was about like, oh, wow. Are you still feeling the effects? Oh, you're still feeling the effects from that injury. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And top, and it's never just that Mm -hmm. one injury. It's Mm -hmm. years and years and years of um, doing things and like Mm overstretch parts of your body. Like I remember there was one show where I, because this company, it was just always get the leg as high as you possibly Mm -hmm. can. And I swear, I felt some ligament in my hips just stretch. Ooh. And it didn't, like, yeah. hurt. But I, was like, I don't think that's going to go back mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I feel like some of those muscles are now resetting. Yes, yes, yes. So, it's, so I'm guessing you took so a break from that. Was it, was it, was it um, only the physical demands that caused you to take this break from dance? Also, like, artistic nourishment. Like, I wanted to feel more in control. Mm-hmm. And so, like, towards the height of my career as a dancer, um, Black Lives Matter was really popping off, like, the first wave Mm -hmm. of it. Like, I remember the day Ferguson hit social media and we're seeing Facebook lives of, like, police state response. And then Robin William also died that day of suicide. And I'm seeing this juxtaposition in my timeline of, like, my white friends are like, oh, Robin Williams. And my black friends are like, uh, militarized police response yes, to yes. someone like, what, what the hell? And they made a comment like, I don't understand how some people are focusing on one person when this militarized mm-hmm. police response. Like I said it so many times and white people are like, I can, whenever, whenever, And that was like a wake up call yeah. for me. I was like, whoa, this is mm-hmm. bad. Like I didn't think it was this bad. I knew it, but like whatever. So then few years later like in my art I'm like well this doesn't really reflect yeah, me yeah 
in a lot of, oftentimes I had to really play the role of like cisgender or like mm-hmm. really and I wasn't making enough money so I was like I might as well just do my own yeah, thing so I started writing my own grants making my own mm-hmm. work and um traveling to Haiti and researching like queer and transgender um LGBT identity within voodoo folkloric rituals and dances and yeah. songs. And did you find a lot there? And oh yeah, yeah. It's like it's like all over yeah. the place. It's amazing. Yeah. It, within and voodoo it all culture. made sense like in finding and, that. Oh yeah, it was an yeah. amazing experience. Like it was the most grounding and empowering mm-hmm. thing ever. And then the hurricane mm-hmm. hit. Hurricane Matthew. I went right before that and right after. And that really changed me to I started like raising a lot of funds and working with the communities there. And I wanted my art to reflect that. I kind of got tired of doing ballet to Coldplay. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> but this really just has nothing to do with me yeah. and yeah. my life. Yeah. So um, I just started doing solo work mm-hmm. for a while. And um, when I moved to so-called Australia, because I wanted to get out of the U.S. because I felt like really unsafe there. So I moved to so-called Australia for a year and I start meeting like BLAK, Black, like Aboriginal, mm-hmm. First Nation, so-called Australia um, people and getting into drag and doing drag. But like we formed like the Motherless Collective, which was like a that's Black. That's where you started drag, right? Black collective. Yeah, that's where I really started yeah. doing drag. And like we were doing, we were performing like at Hamer Hall, mm-hmm. which is like, a big like classical symphony okay, yeah. venue wow. and uh-huh. we performed there and like we were doing like shows in theaters like drag shows in mm-hmm. theaters and like creating spaces for like POC performers mm-hmm. which was very lacking yeah, in Melbourne yeah. and like we were doing like drag plays yes, yes. and such like much more of like artistic conceptual work had the people around you been just, doing like, drag prior to your arrival um my drag mother mm-hmm. yes but we met because they were doing like uh like an internship type mm-hmm. thing as a producer yeah. and so they produced drag of norm or uh drag of Kwacha. and um i was in that mm-hmm. show and then all of us in that show that was our first time performing oh, wow. yeah, in yeah. drag but they, her, she had been trying to, uh, so was called like doing the scene and not really mm-hmm. getting, cause they're, they're just so racist there. Uh, not really getting what she yeah. deserves. So she said, well, fuck it. I'll just yeah, do my own thing. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I did that. And then now in, in Taiwan, it's not really been performing mm-hmm. as much, but I think taking the, well, COVID yeah absolutely and also taking the time to it's different when you're in a country where english isn't the main language and i also think i needed some time to kind of recalibrate i was performing a lot a lot for Mm -hmm. a while and i really like though where i'm at because i'm making a lot more money than i was before and like i'm just more stable Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like I've been able to take my time to really address some, like, 
things I never I was just so go 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 that I never really had the chance to address yeah. before so you've been so. like afforded like the time and like space lockdown to was slow down. I'm sorry so you've, been, you've been afforded the time and space to slow down yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and like lockdown was amazing because like I don't like a lot of people anyway <laughs> so no seriously any, to see any, those stank any, asses. Time, any excuse to like not go outside sometimes I'm like didn't want to go outside anyway but i feel like again we were spoiled because it wasn't yeah. as severe as elsewhere so we were just like a couple months just chill right no that's the only reason it was it was great was because like we just had like a little taste yeah, of it yeah yeah <clears throat> so to answer your question i feel like yeah i really like my life mm-hmm. right now and i just closed out i curated a festival um about haiti and um included like we had one, two, three, four, five, six other indigenous nations are, were represented in just a week of Haiti. Yeah. Because it was about like global indigeneity, but like channeling it through conversations about Haiti. The, what was the name of this festival that you have just come out of doing festival? Um, so it was called Revolution Festival. Mm-hmm. And I actually attended this festival maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I met like some really radical, amazing artists, mm-hmm. um, two spirit native artists who were like changed my life. Uh, the changed my life. So it's an honor to be able to curate for a festival that actually has such a profound effect on me. Yeah. So then you had um, a global conversation on indigenous futurism in drag. Mm, yes. Um, and I guess like with like regards to this podcast and growing up, the future is something that I think about and that we discuss a lot in like a range of different ways, be it just like growing up or like queer futurity, queer futurism. Mm. Um, and so I want to, I want to find out more about indigenous futurism. And I guess like, what does, what does that mean to you? And what does an indigenous future look like? To mm. you? And also how is that, how is that bolstered through drag as well? Essentially, I think, you know, Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. I liked Rosemary's response. Um, I mean, context, Rosemary is an indigenous um, drag queen here in Taipei. Mm-hmm. That's how y'all, and then they said Dayan is their, what their tribe calls themselves. Because like mm-hmm. the Atayal tribe has like many many groups within it. Um, they said, well, this is an indigenous futurism in drag. We're in drag and talking about our stories and sharing our stories mm-hmm. and using technology and like sometimes futurism, like I became really interested like when Afrofuturism really became like this big thing mm-hmm. for a while, like resubmerged, like I was really researching would do a lot um, at the time. And they came across these like really incredible stories. So if we have evidence that these stories in Haiti came after post-invasion, yeah, during the transatlantic slave trade, mm-hmm. then at a time these stories were futurism. The story is that Julie Dantor first came about like Cecilia uh, Fatima and uh, Judy Bookman were like the birth, they had a voodoo ritual that was the birthing of the Haitian revolution, which we mm-hmm. know is the 
only documented successful slave rebellion in humanity yeah. mm-hmm. and was the first black republic. Yeah. Resulted in the first black republic in the world. Mm-hmm. That revolution where they defeated the French, the Spanish, and the British, the three most powerful armies at the time, as slaves, as enslaved people revolting, was sparked in voodoo ritual and the sacrifice. Mm. So oftentimes, too, like sometimes what we sacrifice, we're also eating the same thing in the ritual. Like yeah. eat chicken yeah. and then we yeah. sacrifice the chicken and include the mm-hmm. spirit in our community and feed yeah. them and nourish them because the spirits are part of our community as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in this ritual, the story I understand is that Fatima that the dance around is that she was possessed. In possession as well as also more of a synergistic trance where you become a medium to a spirit. So they speak mm-hmm. through you. Yeah. It's an enlightened state of being. Mm-hmm. And the Creole pig was an indigenous pig to Haiti with sacrifice. And this is the first documented like fusion of this. And mm-hmm. Julie Dantor was called and she was born. Okay. And she essentially, yeah. in many ways, her story is a prophecy of the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. But she is a petrol spirit. Mm-hmm. And she's a fire spirit. And she's the one yeah. who instructed them to burn the plantations. And uh, mm-hmm. getting to why this is important and relevant to drag. Mm-hmm, of course. is the protector of lesbians. Mm-hmm. She protects intersex people. And she also protects trans women. Mm-hmm. She protects abused women. Mm-hmm. Some stories also say Ezuli Dantor is a transgender woman. Mm-hmm. There's, because Ezuli Dantor is kind of like motherly love, there's so many different versions of her. Yeah. Love yeah. has so many different versions and, and applications. Mm-hmm. But so in ritual to her, sometimes people will wear the skirt and the dress and essentially they become a woman. Yeah. Because they're yeah. carrying her spirit. So then they become mm-hmm. a woman. Mm. So already we're seeing gender fluidity yeah absolutely we're seeing transgender identity non-binary identity mm-hmm. there's also the gere spirit and so gere is papa gere the first man who ever died essentially he did he guards the doorway to death he's oftentimes confused him and papa legba are oftentimes confused but they are not mm-hmm. the same thing yeah Papa Gere is the one you speak to to speak to the ancestors who are deceased. Mm. Maman Brigitte is Bridget from Celtic mm-hmm. spirit. Many spirits from around the world came to Haiti. And Maman Brigitte yeah. was one of them. She came from Ireland, from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she married into the Gere family. And they have many transgender children. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And they're very genderqueer. Mm-hmm. And so even when honoring them, people would dress in what we would call gender fluid, gender queer in ritual. Mm-hmm. So there's a performative element. <laughs> Excuse me. So this is me talking about my culture and my identity, yeah. because I'm not going to talk about the other panelists' culture and identity mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. behalf. 
but it was pretty unanimous where we were all in agreement that the futurism is definitely the past. Yes, yes, And this yes, has already yes. been done, but we're recontextualizing it into a contemporary format, a contemporary narrative that's a reflection of the time, just as those rituals, the age-old mm-hmm. rituals that are older than spoken word, as well as the ones that are newer, like in Haiti, we have some that we know are no older than 500 years old because that's when the encounter, the invasion started. Mm-hmm. They've always been an ongoing continuum of indigenous storytelling, indigenous ritual of documenting history, our sciences, yes. our mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. Um, and looking at these practices as a science in itself and not like mm-hmm. this mystical when the dog and the cat meet in yeah, the dream. Yeah. It's an uh-huh. actual science that has its own scientific method and technology. Because mm-hmm. one of the reasons that um, Haitians were able to win the, the revolution is because they made poison out of herbs yeah, yeah, that could yeah. be found in nature. And we were giving them mm-hmm. diseases and stuff and like making their feet like break out in hives so they couldn't march. And like that's science. Yeah, it's that, that innate that knowledge. Yeah, it's an indigenous science, meaning it didn't require industrialism and for us to invade the rest of the world and take everyone's stuff and this ingredient from over there and this ingredient from all mm-hmm. the way over there. We knew how to use what was right within our reach. Absolutely, yeah. So recontextualizing that into drag, mm-hmm. meaning that when I dress up. I'm not doing this glamazon anything. I'm really embodying my ancestors and spirit. Yes, yes. And yes. Um, I um, my character Oyana is supposed to be a data spirit. Mm-hmm. So inspired by like the petrol spirit, I believe that there was the petroleum, the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oyana is a physical manifestation of the data revolution. Mm-hmm. And how, as the world is being ravished, the spirits are seeking refuge in the internet. So she mm-hmm. represents being a hologram of all of the mm-hmm. ancestors who have escaped to the internet. Wow. Okay. So yeah. She's an expression of all of their stories kind of happening at once, kind of like mm-hmm. the internet, but rooted yeah, yeah. in this um, indigenous practice of storytelling. But, like, yes, it's futurism, but futurism is a continuum. So, mm-hmm. It's rooted in the past, which just allows me to see farther in the future. The farther in the past you can see, the farther in the future you can see. You cannot understand one without the other. So um, that's essentially what she represents. That's, that's my character. Others are saying, like, you know, we've been putting makeup on and doing performance ritual that had elements of gender since the Ice Age. Um, and, like, when you're talking to Aboriginal people from so-called Australia, They've been there for a hundred thousand years, so they've lived through two ice ages. Like, like we've been doing this for a very long time. This is not new. Um, so you add in contemporary technology, and one thing we did talk about about too is Western science requires conflict and warfare to advance, where indigenous science required harmony with the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I guess in even just in in like acknowledging indigenous culture and like 
how right it all is. That would then have to be them admitting fault. Bingo. On a on a scale that that you know, then contradicts everything we've come to know. Everything we've come to know. And then how how do you globally mm-hmm. say, guys, we were wrong? You don't. And how do you do it? A. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in true honestly, like, say, guys, you're wrong. Not just like a, oh, sorry, I hurt your feelings. Yeah, yeah. But like, and be in a way that's actively, like, rec- where there's active reconciliation mm. and reparations. Yeah, precisely. That's the thing that I was coming back to. Like, even there's this talk about reparations, but nothing is really happening mm. in, in, in real life. Beyond mutual aid, mm-hmm. like which isn't the same, you know. No, because yeah. that's 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 people who have been the victims of colonization, yeah. intergenerational trauma, yeah. intergenerational displacement, mm. sharing what they have, yeah. doing what we have always exactly. done. Exactly, exactly. That is not that's reparations. Not, yeah. Reparations is land back. Mm. Reparations is breaking down contemporary economic systems mm. and contemporary politics and understanding how. I mean, this is how I define it how we got here, Mm -hmm. like the amount of money that Haiti was required to pay France Mm -hmm. so that France did not reinvade and then USA placing a boycott of trade on Haiti Mm -hmm. because they were freed slaves allowed for the USA and Canada and Europe to flourish. Mm -hmm. And uh, Haitian scholar Patrick Bellegarde says that 20% 20% of France's current day economy comes from the reparations that Haiti paid. Wow. And at the time, the amount that, that France was charging Haiti was so outrageous, even the British said, we don't even have that kind of money. Yeah. Like, they were even like, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't, we couldn't afford mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so let's look at that. And let's look at, okay, so who traded with France? Mm-hmm. Who benefited from France being a global power? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then whose economy was bettered because of that? Who benefited because of the USA being a global power? Who do they prioritize trade with? And so now we have to trace all that back and figure out all that money Mm -hmm. and return it back to those. And so people think, oh, land back. We need to give the land back. It's not just that. Like that is part of it. But there's a whole economic system that needs to be undone. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's, there's a lot of layers. Which through like storytelling, like indigenous futurism in drag, mm-hmm. where we create a space where queer narratives can be put at the forefront. Because I think like presenting queer narratives is the ultimate like decolonization. Oh no, I agree. Yeah, practice mm-hmm. um, allows for these conversations to happen, mm-hmm. and it also creates a space for understanding what immediate reparations could look like mm-hmm. if we're creating spaces for indigenous drag queens to be in a culturally safe space to express their gender queerness, their sexual queerness mm-hmm. or whatever, queer identity in performance art ritual yeah. and have it and have it like white people, you pay us for this. Like, come on, cough it up. And you give us back these spaces because it's on stolen land anyways. Mm-hmm. So we should be the ones in charge of this shit anyways. Like that's the beginning in my, for me, I believe. Because yeah. a lot of times conversations about decolonization become very just heteronormative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
in, in, in the audacity, mm-hmm. the cacosity of it oftentimes is that it's white centered performances with centering white bodies that are performing blackness. Yes. Are performing indigeneity yes. in one way or another. So the levels of consumption and colonization mm-hmm. and displacement are so outrageously absurd. Mm-hmm. And they can't even see how bad it is and how outrageous it is that they are completely centering themselves in these spaces while tokenizing mm-hmm. people who are not white, who are not the colonizers, who are not the settler colonizers. Like, and I, I reflect a lot on this too, like being in Taiwan, which is colonized land, mm-hmm. um, the ways that I can actively like not participate in settler colonialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dynamic of being Haitian in Taiwan and Haiti having strong diplomatic mm-hmm. ties yeah. does change something. Mm-hmm. But I also have a USA passport. Mm-hmm. So that does mean that I'm in a position of settler colonialism, which is why it is important to me to create the spaces that I'm talking Mm -hmm. about and hold space for that because I can use my privilege to do such. Mm -hmm. And that is reparations is also like land-based. Like you do have to look at where you are Mm -hmm. too, in my opinion. I agree. I feel like that sounds like it's speaking a lot to... um futurism like global futurism Mm -hmm. just in 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 the ways that you're speaking the ways that you're framing that in being here being present be it not even in the drag space but in whatever capacity that takes shape just you being able to provide that that launch pad for Mm -hmm. people to sort of leap off of it's a core tenet of like what we're trying to do like wide scale Mm -hmm. you know it's true i didn't think about indigenism it's so easily co-opted I mean, because mm-hmm. according to my research, like I'm not, a, I'm not an academic. I'm actually more of an anti-academic because I believe that a lot of these mm-hmm. narratives have been completely colonized through academia in the white cis mm-hmm. heteronormative yeah. gaze, uh, especially like anthropologists. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and gatekeeping this knowledge. So there, so indigenism as a term that is used today began in black resistance to colonial forces and then has spread. But then, and this is how I understand, I could be wrong, but this is my understanding. And if anyone knows otherwise, please, mm-hmm. I want to know more. No, yeah, of course. Um, but so you look at that and then the more indigenous you get, the more diverse you get, the more complex, the more nuanced you get. And so we're talking about creating these spaces yeah, for indigenous yeah, conversations yeah. to happen. There needs to be as many spaces as there are like intersections of streets, like as there are like every street corner, there needs to be that many spaces. Mm-hmm. Cause that is like this yeah. idea of indigeneity and like yeah, nativeness. Yeah. It should be in connection mm-hmm. and driven by mm-hmm. the land. So like what it may look like here will be completely different mm-hmm. than what it'll look like there. And that's the value in it. So as we're like trying to like, glo- it's like kind of yeah. like a paradox, like globalized indigeneity. How does that even, you know what I mean? In, 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 in. Yeah. And I do believe that paradoxical truths are, are very much like a heightened level of truth. 
Like if it's a truth that can contradict itself, then it means it's another level mm-hmm. of truth. You're getting more into like a quantum realm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but globalized indigeneity, what yeah. does that look like? I, it's too soon to tell. I, could, I, can, I, I get what you mean with that. I, I can see sort of like how it doesn't make sense, but how it makes so yeah. sense. No, because it, it, is, it is the future. And it is also the past. Yeah. So like a lot of the premises for the festival is yeah. like we're reawakening yeah. markets and exchange systems that have existed for millennia. This isn't something that we're inventing. Mm-hmm. And that's another mm-hmm. part of indigeneity too. It's like, we're not discovering anything. Yeah. There were trade networks that existed. Returning to the past. Obviously, mm-hmm. if they went to Hawaii and there were already people there, then obviously people knew how to navigate the ocean for a long time. If they had advanced yes. civilizations, that meant they had been there for a while. Yes. They obviously had trade networks set up mm-hmm. globally. We have to just like, it, it existed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what does it look like mm. if we reclaim that and start to change the way that global trade and global commerce and change the currency? So like the concept a lot too was that these stories that we're sharing is the currency if we start creating ec- economic systems yes, that see yes. indigenous stories as the ultimate form of value, and we measure value through indigenous currencies mm-hmm. and not just USD in the World Banking Federation or the International Monetary Fund, how will mm-hmm. that change mm-hmm. everything? I think it'll change everything. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, yeah. And that's like in exchange for time. It's like people taking the time to consume mm-hmm. these things, to pay attention to these things. I guess it can seem quite daunting, but when you really boil it down, it's just a simple changing the exchange, changing the format of exchange and changing our ideas around the value of these currencies as well. Yeah. And, and like, you know, like it, it makes sense. It's just that those yeah. currencies are, it's a symbol of currency. Catch the rest of this episode in part two.